How many people have enjoyed uh, the recent um, sermon series by Pastor Mark, going kicking off the year? And I especially enjoyed um, the the verse that he that he chose as kind of our theme verse for the church for the upcoming year in Psalm sixteen eleven. Um, I would like to take a look at um, that verse in conjunction with all the other verses in Psalm 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn to, turn to Psalm 16 for me. Now we're going to first look at Psalm 16 as a whole, but don't worry, there's only 11 verses. And then uh, we're going to focus in on a couple of verses that, that really God just put on my heart to, to talk about today. Psalm 16. So if you were to read Psalm 16 as a whole, and I'm not asking you to do that now, um, but if you read Psalm 16 as a whole, Psalm 16 as a whole is, is a psalm of trust. And what I mean by that is that um, in the beginning, we get a small hint that there may be a crisis going on in David's life. When verse 1, the first thing he says right off the bat is, Preserve me, O God, before I take refuge in you. But after that hint, David goes on to describe at length his confidence in the Lord. In fact, all the rest of the verses um, kind of lend toward that theme that um, I'm asking you to preserve me and I, I'm going to take refuge in you, but I'm confident in you and your love for me. In many other psalms, including psalms that David wrote, um, we can join the authors as they lament over their circumstances they find themselves in. But but here, David doesn't do that at all. And um, I think the tone is much different in this psalm than psalms where he's lamenting, where he's talking about his enemies and how they want to kill him or see him dead and the, the different situations he found himself in over his life. The tone is different. And, and maybe David just already went through the lamentation stage and now he's come to a place of confidence and trust in God. In verses 7 and 8 he says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Different, different uh, tone than woe is me, right? But then there are two kind of curious verses set in the midst of this psalm. And these are verses that describe God. Using imagery that probably would have been familiar to David, um, and had meaning to David, but they may seem a little bit foreign to us as Christians here in the, in the 21st century. And those verses that I'm talking about are, are verses 5 and 6. And I'd like to focus in on verses 5 and 6 today. It says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And really right here, what David is expressing is that he prized his relationship with God over anything else. And, and I'm going to make that more clear to you in just a few minutes. 
The imagery that David's using here in, in Psalm 16 recalls a time, the time when Joshua led the Israelites into the land that God had promised them. They each received a portion of that land as an inheritance for them and their descendants. If you read Numbers uh, chapter 33, verse 54, um, they're preparing to go into this promised land and God's giving them instruction. And he says, um, you shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the larger you shall give more inheritance and to the smaller you shall give less inheritance. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You see where this imagery is coming from now when David writes, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. He's recalling this image in his mind. Casting lots uh, in general was used as kind of an unbiased and impartial way to make a decision. Uh, much like the way we might use flipping a coin, um, drawing straws, or even rock, paper, scissors. Have you ever used that to solve a dispute or make a decision? Come on. As a result, you know, no one can argue the outcome um, was tainted by human interference. Now, okay, maybe I've seen a coin flip or two disputed, or maybe rock, paper, scissors, the rules have been disputed a time or two. But ultimately, you don't really argue the outcome of those things. They never really argued the outcome of casting lots. And this is the way that God commanded the Israelites to divide the promised land once they took possession of it. And normally when you see casting lots um, happening in the Bible, there's this kind of implication that God is really going to be the one that's uh, in control over the outcome of that. Getting back to the land and the inheritance, I would imagine that land was important in those days for many of the same reasons they are now, or it is now. Land back then was a valuable asset, right? Very simple. Uh, land, if you had the right piece of land, it would yield good crops, right? And if you were really lucky, you'd have a natural water source, a clean natural water source on the plot of land that you had. But also another benefit of that is natural beauty, right? Who doesn't, who wants to get a plot of land that's right next to a factory or, you know, a garbage dump? Not me. I love. I would love to buy a plot of land that's overlooking a valley and you see sunsets in the morning and birds chirping and all the natural beauty that God has to offer. I would love to see that on my, my uh, plot of land. I'd love to see that when I look out my back door. So we have all these benefits that, that came from the land that they were going to inherit. Remember, God told them, so I've come down to deliver you from the power of the Egyptians and bring you up uh, from that land into a good and spacious land, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. You're just picturing this land that's just bountiful and beautiful. So I'm sure that while they were doing this process of casting lots, everybody was kind of hoping that they would get a really good plot of land as an inheritance, now, just a moment ago, I said that uh, they each received a portion of that land as an inheritance. And they did. They each received a portion of that land except for the Levites, right? 
If you know your Old Testament, um, the Levites did not get a plot of land. And reading out of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, it kind of describes this. It says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to bless his name until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to him, referring to Aaron. Now we'll go back and listen to the language the the author of Psalm 16 uses. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. There's a lot of meaning here for David, and he's purposefully using these words because they're describing references back to God's word and to um, the, um, the entrance into the promised land by the Israelites. So the Levites, the Levites didn't get a share in the land, but what they did have that nobody else uh, had was a unique and special relationship with the Lord. Right? And that was to take the place of inheriting this land. They had a valuable, a unique, a special relationship with the Lord. Because by virtue of their ministry, they were allowed to draw closer to the Lord than the rest of their countrymen. Right? They weren't able to provide for themselves, but through this special relationship, God provided for them, right? Uh, They were all given a a share of tithes and and offerings that the rest of the nation brought to the temple. And so David was expressing the fact that as the Levites, he would take a special relationship with God in place of any inheritance of land that he might get. Perhaps this is the secret of his confidence in God and God's provision for him. Perhaps he learned the secret that, st- that stared everyone in Israel in the face every time they read these Old Testament portions of Scripture. That an intimate relationship with God was all that they needed. And if they could focus on that, everything else would be provided for them. Hmm. I was writing this and I thought, hmm, that sounds familiar. Doesn't it? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows all that you need. And he knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Right? Same concept continues into the New Testament. This is not just an Old Testament thing. The problem with the Israelites was that they focused more on the earthly benefits that they got from God than their relationship with God. And we see often that their hearts grew cold and they turned away from God and began worshiping false gods. And perhaps David was referring to them when he wrote, The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied in verse 4 of our psalm. Again, that kind of sounds familiar. It echoes into the New Testament too, right? Remember the story of the prodigal son? 
prodigal son goes to his father and says, I want my share of your estate. And the father reluctantly gives it to him, and the son takes it and runs off. And then he squanders it, and he becomes destitute. And then he goes back, slinking to the father, realizing that he should have never left in the first place. And I think that there's a danger in that for us as well, right? Sometimes we're so intent on praying for something and believing for something when, that when they, we get that something, we're, we're so pleased that we got that something that we just run off looking at that something and we lose focus on God. Sometimes we take the blessing of God and we run off with it and leave him standing there. I believe that many times we're more focused on asking something of God than we are focused on our relationship with God. I mean, think about your day-to-day. Are we focused on our relationship with God, or are we focused on asking something of God? Now, most people don't do this purposefully or consciously, I believe. Most of us have been conditioned to focus or fixate on the things that we need, the things that we want. And on the other hand, I don't think, uh, I think that many of us have never really learned what real true intimacy with God looks like. Now, a lot of us here, I don't know about you, but I, a lot of us here may have been brought up in faith traditions like myself that never really taught intimacy with God was, was available was an option, and much less how to achieve it. We were taught that works were more important, right? We were taught that church attendance was important, completing sacraments was important, giving up things for Lent was important, not committing any major sins was important. In other words, all we had to do to earn God's approval was do the right things. We also learned that the clergy were like the Levites of the Old Testament, right? They were the ones that have the special relationship with God, and we just go to them and they go to God. All these things have conditioned us and shaped our beliefs in who God is and what the nature of our relationship with him should look like. Others of us have simply you know, allowed our lives to be, become too busy, too complicated, Let's face it, a lot of us work long hours, right? We work nights, we work weekends. And we're too busy while we're at work, and when we come home, we're too tired. Many of us have a variety of pursuits outside of work that we really have committed ourselves or our children to. And we can't miss those things. Practices, meetings, trips, recreation. Take up all of our free time that we have outside of work. So we're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and then we're filling our free time with all sorts of other pursuits. And again, these things take up our nights, our weekends, all the travel back and forth. Our lives have become too busy, too complicated. And still others of us just have too many worries in life. We're always thinking and worrying and worrying and thinking. We've got... Major health problems. Or maybe a loved one has a major health problems. Maybe we have a bad relationship. Maybe we don't have any relationship and want a relationship. 
Maybe we have financial problems. Maybe we have financial aspirations. We say that God's in control, but yet mentally we're preoccupied throughout the day with trying to figure out what we should do, what our next step should be. And then we try things that don't work and get even more frustrated. And maybe some of us even become a little bitter toward God when he doesn't take care of our problems when and how we want him to. When I was writing this, I, something came to mind. I just, I just found it really interesting. And that's the fact that, you know, we've found some really ingenious ways to stay connected to one another all day long, haven't we? Right? Texting, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. What are some of the other ones? I don't know. Is it, what? Snapchat. There's all sorts of apps out there and technology to help us communicate and stay in touch with other people all day long. We are continually sharing the moments of our lives with others throughout the day, no matter where we are or what we're doing, right? I see, you see people, I mean, that's one of the biggest complaints of our time, right? You know, you get together with a, a, a group of family members and everybody's, happy Thanksgiving, Oh, by the way, I have to wish Happy Thanksgiving to my 634 friends on Facebook, so give me a moment. And I'll be willing to bet that many of us, most of us, may send texts or tweets while at work or even post to Facebook or Instagram. So, modern technology has given us all the ability to stay connected 24-7. And I'll bet most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us do so, right? God has also given us something that gives us the ability to stay connected with him 24-7. And if you ask me, it's even easier than texting. You know what it's called? Omnipresence. Prayer is a good one too. But omnipresence, what does that mean? God is present in all places at all times. That means all day, every day, God is with you. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed and even while you're sleeping, God is with you. He's not far off. He's right there next to you. He's living inside of you. God is with us. So while we're using all this technology to connect to other people, God's standing right there, and we're acting like he's not there. Guess what? We can talk to God at any time throughout the day if we want to, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're in the doctor's office, the grocery store, sitting in the car at a stoplight. God's there, and we can talk to him. He's right there. And I don't know about you guys, but we talk about the presence of God and and how we can feel the presence of God during church services, right? I feel the presence of God and it feels so good and I, I love feeling like I'm in his presence. Well, guess what? The presence of God goes with him and he goes with us. So that means the presence of God is with us all day long, right? It's there. The problem is, 
We're just not in the habit of realizing God is there all day long. We bring God into our, our day generally in two types of situations, right? Number one, during times that we've set aside for God. These are times where we anticipate God coming, and then, I don't know if we necessarily literally think that he leaves, but in our minds he leaves, right? That's during you know time we've set aside for prayer, devotions, stuff like that. Or, right now, church services. These are our pre-prescribed times that we meet with God, and God is there. Or during times when situations arrived throughout our day, when we really need his help. You know, we get a bad report from the doctor. We get in a car accident. A bill comes in the mail that is unexpected. Then we meet with God. Outside of those situations, on occasion, things may bring God to the forefront of our mind and turn our attention to God, like maybe the words of a song we hear on the radio or something someone says. Problem is, None of this really establishes true intimacy between us and God. That is not what I would call an intimate relationship. If we are texting and Facebooking all day long with people that are not with us and ignoring God who's standing right next to us and living right inside of us. So, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to give you a moment to think about it. I'm not looking for any way to shout out any answers, but just to ponder. What if you could visibly see God standing next to you all day long? Would that affect your communication with him? What do you think? Because remember, he is actually there whether you realize it or not. I read a book a while back, well, probably a decade or so ago, called The Practice of the Presence of God. It was written by this, um, this Carmelite monk named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was a real humble guy. He actually worked in, in the kitchen in, in this monastery that he, that he was at in Paris. But, excuse me, he was well known for his intimacy with God and his relationship with God and how close that everybody else could perceive that he was with God. And the practice of the presence of God was actually a compiling of some of his writings that he just wrote while in his life, but it was compiled after his death. And I want to read to you just a couple of excerpts from this book. They're short, so don't worry. One, one excerpt he writes, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't capitalize it like this is the title of a book. They just happen to pull that out because it was an impactful statement. The practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depth of center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with him, I, I fear nothing but the least turning from him is insupportable. The next episode I wanted to read is, he says, the time of business or, or, you know, my day at work does not differ with me from the time of prayer. 
In other words, there's no discernible difference in his conversation or his communication with God. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. I want to be there. And I like that he calls it the practice of the presence of God. Because ever since I read this book, I've been practicing it. And believe me, it's, I'm experiencing it. But intimacy, it really requires three things. Um, it requires us to be intentional. It requires effort. And it requires vulnerability, right? To establish intimacy in any relationship, you, you have to realize that it's not going to happen on its own. You know what? I didn't meet my wife and then all of a sudden we were just ready to get married without any conversation, without any effort, or without any spending time together. You have to determine that you want intimacy to occur and you have to plan to make it happen. And it, it just becomes a goal. Right? When I read this book, it became my goal, it became my aim to have that kind of intimacy with God. You have to make it your goal. You have to be intentional about it. And then once intimacy becomes the goal, you need to take action. Intimacy as a goal is all it's a destination, which implies there's a road to get there. You have to walk along that road to get there. And then you need to be vulnerable in order to have intimacy. Intimacy cannot be, be achieved by talking about the weather. I think that if all I talked about with my wife was the weather or maybe sports, she would challenge me on that and say, okay, I need a little bit more out of you than that, right? We need a willingness to disclose things of a more personal and, and a more private nature. And I've got news for you. This is a news flash. God is not done with you yet. God is not done with any of you yet. And, and there's two sides to that coin. You see, I, I usually say that until I wake up in the morning and I go to brush my teeth and I look in the mirror and I see Jesus looking back at me, I'm not there yet. And God has work to do in me. And I need to be open to that, Right? And also on the other side, maybe God's challenging us to move forward in some sort of ministry, some sort of way of serving him. And we have to be open to that too and not be guarded because we're nervous or we think we're inadequate or uh, we, we just don't think we have the time and we close God off. In both of those areas, we need to be vulnerable. We need to let God in. Fortunately, we know that God is already present and waiting, right? I mean, in Revelation uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And he's talking about intimacy. He's talking about be, standing outside our heart's door and knocking and waiting for us to let him in. So what do we have to do? 
Remember that whether we're at work or at the grocery store or in the waiting room at the doctor's office or in the car, that he is here with us. That's the starting point right there is just being conscious all day long that God is there. And then, you know, in a general sense, act like he's there, right? Because I think if we, going back to my question, if you could see him standing next to you all day long, I think you would act a lot differently. Invite him into the moment. Whether you see him or not, he's there. Invite him into the moment. Open up the mo- your moment-to-moment to him and let him in. Don't just wait for um, times that you've set aside to be with him. Don't just wait for an emergency to pop up. Invite him into the moment. Maybe throughout the day, and maybe some of us do this, praise him. Praise him for who he is. Worship him. Maybe, and this is going back to vulnerability, maybe sometimes throughout the day you have the conversations you've been avoiding with him. Or maybe you just don't say anything at all. Maybe you just enjoy his presence. You know, I can confidently say that I'll take intimacy with God, my relationship with God, over any earthly benefit I could possibly receive. And I think when we think about that statement, we would all agree now we've got to put actions to our words. Now, now we've got to act on that belief. I want to leave you with one more Brother Lawrence quote. He says, There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend, those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. You know, Pastor Mark has been preaching out of Psalm 16, verse 11. And in that verse, David listed several benefits. And these are benefits of having an intimate relationship with God. These are the benefits that he's realized of his intimacy with God. And number one, first and foremost, is confidence and trust. The whole psalm was about how he trusted God. How he had confidence in God that God would do what he needed and take care of him. If you spend time with God throughout your day, and you talk to him, and you establish that intimacy with him, Just by virtue of that bond alone, you know that he's returning your intimacy. You have more confidence and trust in him. I I have intimacy with my wife, and I trust her because of that bond that that intimacy brings. He talks about, in, in verse 11, knowledge of the path of life. God continues 
to give that knowledge to us. We don't, we, we can't say that we have studied everything in the Bible. We know everything there is to know about the, uh, about the path of life. I have covered it all. I have officially mastered everything. I am done. Right? None of us have. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all on that same path. I would like to know the most efficient way to get along that path. I don't know about you. He talks about fullness of joy. And the fullness of joy that comes from being in his presence, right? And we talked about that before, that in church services, maybe we just sense the presence of God, and maybe we're just sensitive to the presence of God, and we just enjoy it. I enjoy God's presence. There's a peace and there's a joy that comes over me when I am sensitive to the presence of God that I cannot feel or get anywhere else, no matter what I'm doing. And then to think that we're that God's with us all day long. So in, essentially his presence is with us all day long. And we're saying, well, well, that church service is good. God's presence is really there. Can't wait till the next time. We're missing out. And David talks about pleasures forever. Now, don't make an assumption that he's talking about, you know, being rich or being happier or having this or having that. Because things in the kingdom of God are different than things in the world, right? So maybe pleasures means peace. Maybe pleasure means joy. Right? But I'll take those things. I'll take peace. I'll take joy in my life. So I, I hope, I hope that you have realized that intimacy with God is, is not just a devotion, time set aside or or, or praying when a situation arises during the day, but, but it's a state of awareness. It's, it's actually an ongoing conversation with God. I can't spend a day with my wife and pretend she's not there. I talk with her. I interact with her. We do things together. I include her in everything that I'm doing when we're together, right? All day. We can do that with God. So um, I really just want to take a moment to pray here. I want to take a moment for all of us to pray. Because I believe that, you know, as I said before, intimacy uh, requires intentionality. So I think it's time for us to get intentional. So let's take a moment to resolve to practice the presence of God in our everyday lives. We can do it. And then we can, you know, each and every day experience the same thing that that Dave is experiencing in Psalm 16. You know, at the beginning of it, he says, Preserve me, O God, I'll take refuge in you, as if his life is in danger. But then... The whole rest of the psalm, he's saying, oh, it's okay. I know that you're there, and I know that I have you with me. Wouldn't you like to live day in and day out like that? It starts with intimacy with God. So no matter where you're at with your relationship with God, whether you do 
speak to God and have more of an ongoing conversation. Or, or maybe you really don't. Or maybe you haven't even really thought about it. I think that God wants us to. After all, why would Jesus say that? I'm, hello, I'm standing there. I'm knocking. He wouldn't say that if he wasn't waiting. Right? So he's waiting. Let's invite him in. So let's take a moment to pray and just talk with God and ask him to help us to make this more of a reality than a theory in our lives. Let's invite him in. And let's ask him to help us to become more intimate with him. So just take a few moments. You can come down to the altar. You can stay where you're at. Whatever you want to do. But let's... Let's, this is our first step of intimacy with God is right here, getting intimate for a moment, letting him in, becoming vulnerable, and ask him to help you. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for, for your word, oh Lord. Thank you so much that, as your word says, you'd be standing at our heart's door knocking, wanting to come in, wanting this intimacy with us. I still don't know why you would want intimacy with me sometimes, but you do. And yet, for most of my day, I ignore your presence. God, help me to be sensitive to your presence throughout the day. Help me to invite you into every moment. Help us all to do that. Help us all to get it, be in the habit of communicating with you all day long, having that ongoing conversation, bringing you into what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. And God, I know for some of us, maybe we were, maybe we were just... Uh, comfortable keeping you at arm's length and we're, we're comfortable just inviting you in when we're prepared, when we're ready, when we, when we want you to be there and then maybe pushing you away or closing you off when we're done. God, I pray for those people who, who just, this, this step might be a little uncomfortable for, for them. I just pray that you would just give them peace in their hearts, oh Lord God. Let them know that you love them and that no matter what, uh, what happens during those times of intimacy, Lord God, Lord, you just want to see them grow in you. You just want to bring them closer to you in relationship, oh Lord God. And that all things work for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, I pray as we leave here today, I pray that even this afternoon, that we don't all just leave and, and, and forget about this, O oh Lord God, and, and leave here. And as we go and prepare for all sorts of things, for lunches, for Super Bowl parties, for all sorts of things happening this afternoon and this evening, maybe we're starting to think about chores we have to do, bills we have to pay, things we have to do for work tomorrow. God, Help us not shut you out. I pray that each time we send a text or a Facebook message or a chat or whatever, that God, we're reminded that you're there waiting too to hear from us. 
And God, we want to experience the same benefits from this intimacy that David did. Confidence and trust, knowledge, fullness of joy, pleasures or delights forever. But we know that we'll never fully experience those things if we don't open ourselves up to intimacy with you. To get intentional about it. To take action on it. So God, I help you. I pray that you would help us today. And Lord, I just want to thank you in advance because I believe that you have good in store for us and that we can only benefit from an intimate relationship with you. So I thank you. I thank you for this message. I thank you for this time. I thank you for all the times that you've stood there in my life waiting to be brought into the moment only to be ignored. I thank you that you're long-suffering and that you're still there standing, waiting. And I look forward to the times that we're going to have together in the future as I continue to let you in, to invite you in, to include you in every moment of my life. God, I thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.